0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird.
1: Looking to turbocharge your saving and investment goals in 2022? Join me for my next course. Over six weeks, we'll cover everything from savings to investing and growing your income. As a special for my podcast listeners, Receive a discount of $50 if you use the code PODCAST. See the Joyful Frugalista website for details. Yuma, Frugalistas, and welcome. Today I have a special guest. I'm going to let her tell you the story of how we met because it's kind of a special and funny one, at least I think so. She is also the first person to sign up for the very, very, very first six weeks to abundance with the Joyful Frugalista course, and I enjoyed having her on it so much. Leilani Bin Judah, PSM, which stands for Public Service Medal, has, until today, served as CEO of the Torres Strait Regional Authority. She was the first Indigenous woman to have served in this role. She is a proud Torres Strait Islander with ties to Hammond, Darnley and Murray Islands. She has had a long diplomatic career that has included postings to Papua New Guinea, Shanghai in China, the Solomon Islands and the Treaty Liaison Office on Thursday Island. Passionate about Indigenous diplomacy, she has spearheaded courses on the subject at the Australian National University. In 2019, she was awarded a Public Service Medal for promoting the inclusion of Indigenous heritage in Australia's cultural and foreign policies. She also received a Churchill Fellowship in 2000 to investigate Indigenous people's involvement in museum development. So you can tell she's a pretty amazing woman. And I'd like to acknowledge that today we are recording on Ngunnawal country, which is why I have started today's podcast with Yuma, which is Ngunnawal for welcome. Hi, Leilani.
2: Thank you, Serena. And let me say so many kind words that you've described there, and it does sound pretty overwhelming when you say it like that. Um, but firstly, let me acknowledge the traditional owners of the country we're beaming from today, and that is Ngunnawal, Nambra country. I'd also like to acknowledge our elders past and present and certainly a little shout out to my listeners and audience base in the Torres Strait and those on the Northern Peninsula area in the Cape. So thank you very much. I'm very excited to be part of your program. Well, thank you. And I'm actually excited
1: to be able to share a little bit about the Torres Strait Islands because, you know, while it's a part of Australia, it's also an area that we don't know a lot about. And I think that's partly because it's so
2: remote. Correct. We're a group of islands between the tip of Cape York, Queensland, and also the bottom half of Papua New Guinea. We have around a um, oh, hundred coral caves islands and un- uninhabited islands as well. Population is around eight to ten thousand we 're a very transient population. The majority of Torres Strait Islanders reside here on the mainland we call mainland australia but yeah we we 're a unique group of islands, and we have paradise at our backyard because it's the Great Barrier Reef that borders along our wonderful coastline. How beautiful, your island home. Indeed, one that I miss very much when I come to Canberra because it's so darn cold. (laughs) Well, we
1: are in the middle of summer, but I know you find it cold.
2: Yes, yes. I am enjoying reintegration to city life, if I can say that. It's been a long time since I've come back to Canberra. So for myself, it's been a re-education, a re-learning how to ride a tram how to get from A to B and development everywhere you look in the city. So, yeah, it's a bit of a culture
1: shock to me. Yeah, I can imagine it would be a culture shock. So how different is it? What is
2: day-to-day life on Thursday Island like? Well, firstly, my house is one street away from where I work. I walk to work in less than five minutes. I'm on an island surrounded by ocean. I have sea breeze at my fingertips every day. I go walking every morning along the esplanade. And you can watch the sunrise. So it's a very different feel. There's no city bustle or anything like that. Everyone knows each other. So if anybody needs a hand with something, there's a real sense of community. And we all look out for each other. The most important thing too is the children. So mm-hmm. where I live, or where I used to live, I should say, a lot of my staff lived around me and they had children. And one of them actually described to me, she was nine years old, She described me as a responsible adult. Oh, that's nice to
1: know. Do you feel like you're a responsible adult?
2: Well, I would hope so at this age, but I still feel like I'm 21. Yeah, I think I'm a big kid at heart.
1: Hmm. Fabulous. Before we talk a little bit more about your role in mentoring and others, I know you have a bit of a story about how we met, so I'll get you to tell it in your words.
2: (laughs) Yes, yes. I still remember that day like it was yesterday. I do too. Yes, yes. It was on the um, pavement on the side of uh, a road. And I was actually talking with my aunt, who I hadn't seen for a long time, and I saw you and another lady walking along the footpath, and I actually turned to my aunt and I said, you know what? I think that's her. I really think that's her. And I started hyperventilating because I just finished reading your book, and it was amazing. And I thought, oh my God, I can't believe this. She's here. She's actually here. And so as you approached closer, and I can understand this, I yelled at and said, oh my God, are you... Miss Frigalista, and you said yes I am and you had this sort of concerning face thinking what's going on <laughs> here's this little short round dark person asking me you know am I this person and um and I was rather excited so you know it came across as probably a celebrity crush or your biggest fan which it was, was a, a lot of
1: joy a yes. lot of joy
2: that's right because I was pretty excited because the book and its teachings actually gave us a lot gave me a lot to learn from and to share with others as well. So that day marked a turning point, I think, um, on so many levels. So thank you. Well, actually, it was significant
1: for me as well, and I know you know why. I was having a final coffee with a friend because that was actually my last day in the office. That was the day after that we had an off-site thing, and then that was it. I was gone from work. And I still had so many doubts about whether I'd made the right choice or not. I was feeling increasingly called to spread the Frugalista message and also to do other things to help and empower women. And I sort of, while I loved my work, I didn't really feel that I was being as aligned with that in the work that I was doing. And I think meeting you was just amazing. It really validated that I was on the right track. And then the weird
2: thing was we were actually in the same workplace. Indeed, indeed, because after our engagement, uh, once we met one another – I went back to my little office pod and I was so excited. I think I was a little bit shaky actually because I was telling everybody else, (laughs) you don't know. You just don't know this, but I have just met Miss Frugalista. You don't know. You don't know. Oh my God. Because it was almost like I'd come from a very remote part of Australia and met someone who had like-minded ideas of what I thought I wanted to build, which was financial independence. So I think the reality of that connection really was important. Yeah. And then the irony
1: is probably most of your colleagues, you know, my former colleagues were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's been there for years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's just one of those things. But mm. so let's talk about financial independence then. Like what mm. is, what does financial independence mean for you?
2: It's a very important part of life. And I came from a very, well, one would say not wealthy background, but a very comfortable one. We had a roof over our heads and clothes and food on the table, but it was not an extravagant lifestyle by any means. And I've got two different philosophies in our family. One is very conservative and the other is what's mine is yours and I'll take everything kind of thing. So I kind of sat in the middle there. Being frugal for me has meant financial independence which brings with it freedom, and freedom as a woman in this world as well as an Indigenous woman means choices.
1: Yeah, it does indeed, doesn't Mm, it? Yes. And we forget that. It's still so comparatively recent that women have been able to do things like own their own home, get a business loan for their business, have their own bank
2: account. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that long ago that women couldn't do these things. Correct. Correct. So it's actually built a whole... If I can say there's an army of of like minded, of other ladies from where I come from. Your book has been shared with many others. I have a number of young ladies that I mentor, particularly young single mums, who wanted to get ahead in life. So it wasn't just about their financial independence, but it was a whole whole of life kind of position, which was building their skills, building their confidence and their capability to apply for jobs that would give them a promotion that would then allow them some extra dollars to get ahead. And, and I'm very proud to say that from that little meeting that we had, a big tree has grown from that. Many trees, in wow. fact. Wow.
1: I actually mm. had no idea, to be mm. honest. I know you said you've done mentoring with a number of women on Torres Strait Island, but I actually had no idea of any of that. So I'm actually feeling like goosebumps as well, but I really do attribute this to you and your incredible role as a leader in your
2: community. Thank you. Yes, look, there's, there's many labels that people like to put on us, but the one thing I think that's most important is the empowerment. Empowering others, whether that's through knowledge, whether that's through information, through financial independence, this all helps build capacity for our ladies and for our women and our families because as we know women are the backbones of many communities around Australia mm. we are no different and i think for these young ladies they had children and they wanted to imagine a different future for their children and i'm very happy to say that some of them have now through your book and our discussions with mentoring have learned those fundamentals and have now saved up deposits to buy a, either a unit or a house or something like that that's unheard of and when i talked with the young ladies I said to them I'm very proud of them because they have now worked towards breaking that cycle of poverty Mm. and as indigenous peoples that's really important because no one like it's not a a done thing in our cultures to talk about finances or ways in which to put a strategy together to get ahead because you're seeing as more or less if you're trying to be individual and get ahead then that's not a good thing we're very much a community effort However, slowly but surely, we're now learning about other mechanisms and other ways you can build on that. It doesn't mean that you have to miss out on family life or anything like that. It just means you have boundaries in place and that's not easy. That Mm. is
1: very interesting and I hadn't Mm. thought of that, that in those terms but it must be difficult. Is it challenging for you as a successful Indigenous woman when you're back in your community to navigate that with some people looking at you that you have created
2: this abundance now in your life and wondering how they can get a share? Sure. I mean, early on in my life, I think that's when it appeared in my early 20s because I'd left Queensland and studied and then got a job in Canberra. So now I was earning my own income, able to do many different things that I thought I'd never be able to. So when I did go back to Queensland, it was that little sense of narkiness. That's human nature. <laughs> However, exactly. I'm a thick skin and my favourite word is no. So don't even ask. Don't even think it because the answer is no. And certainly many of the family members know this and certainly the children, but you've got to earn it. Like most things in life, if you want those rewards and you want to get ahead, you have to earn it. I'm a little bit old school in that sense because I spent a lot of time with my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, and she instilled a lot of these values. So it comes back to your values and beliefs. And I guess I'm a bit lucky because I'm able to navigate or balance the two different concepts, the Western concept of saving your money, get ahead, be independent, all those sorts of things. But also the Indigenous side of it, which is still being respectful, still being able to share in community life. I'm an avid faith believer, so that's really important to me. So I try to help out with community volunteering as much as possible. I love animals. I like to donate some time and energy and some financial donations to helping the Thursday Island Animal Support Group because we we don't have an RSPCA up there, we don't have services that are easily accessible here on the mainland. A group of us community people got together and we now have rehomed nearly 100 animals from there to homes that these animals would Otherwise, not have had. Wow. And you were telling me the other day
1: about how often vets visit the island and it's not as often as you might think.
2: No. And so this was something that the group got together and we raised our own funds. Cake um, (laughs) bake-offs, sausage sizzles or egg and bacon rolls and things like that. We would fundraise. All of us volunteers would get together because we believed in that. All animals should have the right to health care and it's not the owner's fault because owners are, un- are not able to access the service. So if there's a gap that we can try to help and this is community driven, then we're going to do it.
1: Mm. You know. And
2: what about for
1: people? What's the healthcare like for
2: people? Similar to, while it has improved a little bit in terms of we now have a dialysis unit up on Thursday Island, the services are slowly improving, could be further improved. There's no doubt about that. Chronic disease is probably right up the top of the list there and and heart disease and kidney failure and this is associated with diabetes and that's related to your diet, lifestyle, exercise, access to fresh fruit and vegetables. So it still comes back to access. So, yeah, while, while not the best, there are areas
1: for improvement. Mm. And your stories too of going to Cairns on business and coming back with suitcases full of food just amazed me.
2: Yes, we have become the most strategic shoppers, I think, in this country because the majority of us will take down a suitcase, a little suitcase within a big suitcase, and then the first stop that we go to in Cairns is either Woolies or Coles. And we would stock up our fruit and veggies, meat, whatever, and then bring that back home to feed our families because it was a lot cheaper, more affordable. We do have a butcher on Thursday Island itself. And the prices are reasonable, don't get me wrong. But in terms of if you have large families, it's probably more economical. Now, not everyone gets to travel to Cairns on a regular basis. However, if you do go, if we do go, we tend to share a lot, particularly a group of us ladies who all stick together. So if I'm going down and they give me an order of strawberries, and blueberries and what have you, then I'll stock up and vice versa. If they go down, then they'll get me sourdough bread or something like that or Greek yogurt or whatever, you know, is necessary because it is quite expensive up there. And for many people, those are things that are everyday staples. They don't consider them luxuries. Yes, and this is why when I arrived in Canberra just the other day, I spent a lot of time at Aldi just (laughs) standing there looking at the wonderful and glorious aisles thinking, oh, my gosh, Look at this. It was like freedom. You talk about freedom. And this is a very simple thing in life. And and I don't take anything for granted. So I did stand there for a while, I'll admit to that, because it was something I'd waited for a long time. And that's in the midst of all our supply chain dramas
1: because of COVID and me going shopping early on Tuesday mornings when there's fresh deliveries and apologising that there weren't as many fresh things as there usually are. So I guess everything's relative. Yep. <laughs> So is your community, are they naturally frugal or are they not naturally frugal? Like how do they take to the frugal
2: message? Yes, look, I I probably wouldn't say frugal. I would say that ordinarily our instinct is to just take what we need from the land and the sea. So fish, seafood is readily available for us. So we tend to share. So if um, some of my young nephews or other family members are out fishing, they'll drop off some wonderful mackerel or barramundi fillets or something. And in return, I might bake them a cake or make some cheesecakes or something like that. So it's a real sense of community and a sense of reciprocity. Mm. Uh, That's really important. So we try not to go without. But, yeah, if I've got something that I know others will need, particularly like fresh fruit and veggies, there's a lot of children around me, I'll tend to give them punnets and in return – Not expecting it at all, but others will then provide me with seafood. Frugal probably is not the right term. I would probably say reciprocity Mm. and a sense of community, which is really different. Like here in the big city, you don't really get that. Um, However, I've got a great sense of friendship and networks and what have you. So I've got a lot of people around me that make me feel as though I am part of this community again. So I'm very lucky in, in that respect.
1: Yeah, you're right. The sharing economy isn't as big in cities. Like it usually takes place within formal kind of organisations like the Buy Nothing group or, you know, particular neighbours that have relationships, but not as often as it sounds as what happens in the Tri Strait Islands. Mm, Correct. Correct. Yeah. I think there's a few lessons to learn there from there (laughs) in terms
2: of generosity of spirit. Mm, That's right. And look, your Buy Nothing project and those groups here in. Canberra for me is a bit of an eye opener as well you know just before I left Thursday Island last week I did a massive clean out of things that I thought crikey I've accumulated over the years but I don't actually have a need for them and therefore I offloaded a whole lot of things so I've literally come to Canberra with two suitcases and that's going to be my life for the next 12 months so it's a personal challenge for myself Wow, mm. so you're going on a personal minimalist challenge. Yes, and I might add they are pink suitcases, so I know I have to be on the right track here, um, <laughs> and I'm not getting any more suitcases. so everything has been absolutely minimal. So it's a personal challenge. and if I can test myself and I get through it, then I know I can do this. And I don't need all this extra all these extra things that look lovely and look great on the wall, but is it necessary? So what's prompted this minimalist, is it necessary challenge? Because I'll be traveling in the next 12 months and for the course of the next 12 months, I have to be readily mobile. So I can't have a lot of things. I'm literally going to have the life of a gypsy. And I'm really looking forward to it because it's something that I've never done. I'm literally without a permanent residence for a while. And I'm I'm okay with that. I thought, you know what, I think it's time to change it up a bit. And it is 2022 it is the year of the tiger so i think i'm going to give it a crack mm, fantastic and your year too my year i am a tiger and i'm very excited because i'll <laughs> pounce
1: <laughs> fabulous and for those listening wishing you all a chinese happy chinese new year so uh, yes yeah, showing off i know Yes, um, uh, Leilani's um, rolling her eyes at me, but no, you know this from being in Shanghai from your time there as well. I'm not sure if you're there for Chinese New Year or not, but um, it's all fabulous. Now, you were one of the first students on my course, Six Weeks to Abundance with the Joyful Frugalista, and I'm very thankful for you too, actually, because I've been thinking about doing for a, cor- a course for a while. I had a bit of a program ready, and then you sent me another course, and it was kind of the nudge that I needed. In fact, I'm learning here that things from you happen at significant times, <laughs> whether it's leaving work or, you know, feeling a bit scared to start a new course. So um, thank you for that. And thank you for being integral to that first course. And in fact, you brought along another student from
2: Thursday Island as well. Yes, that's right. So several of the ladies, and we certainly share the, share the love. I've gotten quite a few copies of your book and talked about the principles in it to a number of those young ladies that I mentor. And there's a couple of blokes in there too. Look, I'll add that there, there, but a majority (laughs) are women because they have families and they want to get ahead. So, yes, I was probably that first person to sign up because I believed in what you were wanting to share, the principles. And, again, it comes back to your values and beliefs. And for a long time, I mean, I've been pretty careful with finances. But this then kind of pushed me over the edge to be a little bit more proactive and targeted in my approach because, you know, my income may from time to time be irregular and therefore it'll go up, it'll go down. So how do I prepare for that? And how do I build myself, you know, a future? Mm. So one thing
1: that really struck me from doing that course, from you being on that course was that When you are in a circle of people, it's just, it's it's not a facilitator telling you what you should do, like you all learn from each other. And one day you popped up and said, I rang my bank and I negotiated a better rate on my home loan, on my mortgage. And I think nearly everyone in the group kind of had this shock look and went,
2: really, you can do that? Yes. For me, that was, again, a turning point because it was something that I learned in your course. And I thought, I've never done that. You know, I've never rung up the bank and guess your encouragement pushed me over the edge and went, I can do this. I can give it a go. And I was so surprised because they said, yes, we can give you something
1: better. And I thought, I nearly fell off my chair. Did they, did they ponder it or they, did, they said that straight away? They said it straight away. You make, it makes you wonder why they didn't offer it to you all along. But anyway. Yeah. Well, look, it saved me $4,000. So I think I was very happy. So yeah. $4,000 that year? That year. $4,000 uh, yeah. that year, and that was 2020. So a yeah, couple of years ago.
2: A couple of years ago. Wow. Mm. So since then it saved you, what, 8000 something yes, like possibly. that? possibly. I haven't run the sums uh, since then, but on that first year, absolutely, yeah. Yeah,
1: thank you. That is really a top tip. And for anyone listening who does have a mortgage, there's a lot of discussion about interest rates having to rise at some point in Australia. So mm. the interest rates are rising in the US. Inflation is a problem in the US as well. It isn't as much of a problem here yet. But do look at your mortgage, especially those of you who have bought a house during the boom. Really look at your interest rate and see whether or not it's time to fix or to ask for a better rate because Mm. it's a really good time and you need to watch this carefully.
2: That's right. And it's almost like um, a stock take on your whole finances, essentially. You've got to look at every aspect of what you spend your money on and where can some of those cutbacks be found. And That was one of those, you know. I had a brainwave after having participated in your class that night and I thought, crikey, I think I can do something here and why not give it a go?
1: Well, you did and you inspired everyone in the group. Like I said, everyone was a bit in shock. Like, wow,
2: Leilani just did it. Yes. Like I said, I nearly fell off my chair because I couldn't believe it. I thought, here I go. I'm prepared to get a no from them, but no, no. Mm. So is this your Frugalista tip? I think I've got one better here, Serena, and it's all surrounded by food because food is the essential component of us as Indigenous people and certainly where I'm from because anybody who comes by, you have a cup of tea and you've got to have something with that cup of tea. So I'll say uh, because I did have a young fella, my nephew, living with me and he's a big boy, we would have, say, Mongolian beef that I'd cooked in a crock pot. And being frugal, you know, making sure we're getting good use out of that um, crockpot. And then if we've got leftovers the next day, a very, very easy tip is to then use some of that meat in a sheet of puff pastry and you put it in the oven and then a bit of egg wash. And it's almost like a big strudel or a big sausage roll. Yum. It's a huge hit with the kids. Easy enough. Everybody's happy. You serve that with a side of, you know, salad or what have you, or steamed veggies. And that's dinner the next night. So- For me, it's really important to ensure that we're minimizing food waste. So I'm a huge champion about making sure you use everything that you've got in your pantry and being creative with what you've got. Well, especially when it's so expensive to get there in the first place. Yes, that's right. So for us, everything matters, you know, and if there's someone who's got some passion fruits or purple from their yard um, that they want to share with me, then that's great because I know they'll always get something in return. And it's about the abundance, sharing the abundance for everyone.
1: Now, Leilani isn't an Instagrammer or blogger as such, so you can't actually follow her. Usually I conclude a podcast by saying, and where can people reach you? And I think the answer to this is they can't really, can they? Well, I'm sure they can go through you,
2: Serena, in the first instance, (laughs) Uh, sign up to your website and um, certainly follow you. But look, I have to confess, I'm not a big social media or techno person at all. I'm a little bit old school. I believe in the telephone, fancy that. And actually meeting people and talking because I like the face to face kind of interaction. And given we are in COVID, I completely appreciate that. But the ability to actually connect with people, that's what I really, you know, look forward to. Fabulous. So if you do want to get a message
1: to Leilani, you're going to have to contact me. A good way to do that is to leave a comment on this podcast, especially if you're listening to it on Apple podcast or odd pod so do leave a comment if you've liked this and tell leilani how amazing she is because i'm sure she would love to hear that you can also comment in the joyful frugalista
2: facebook group thank you very much thank you serena and good luck with the next course
0: you've been listening to the joyful frugalista with serena bird and of course sound has been by neil hadley